are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good evening. Um, Normally I'm the person that is at the door when we're inside and I hand out flyers, but somehow I made it to the podium. So that's how it goes. And I just want to give a great thanks to the pastors of Sojourn for loving and discipling me and many others through their lives and through their words. Um, I wouldn't be here preaching the word without them. So I'm just super grateful for um, how God's grace has worked in my life through them. Now today we are finishing up the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John in the midst of a journey to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Now whether you've heard of Christ for the very first time today, or it's the thousandth time, I pray that you realize how critical it is for you to have an answer to this question. This is not something that we can just brush off. From what we've learned over the last 12 chapters, Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Word, the Christ, the divine Son of Man, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life, the light of the world, the Good Shepherd, among many more. My heart trembles and longs for all of you to see in the text today that God is the only one who can save us from our sin and that by entrusting ourselves to Jesus, we can have eternal life. Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John that the work of God given to us is to believe in the one whom God has sent. Now when I mean believe, I'm not just referring to a head knowledge but a deep understanding in our hearts in which every inch of our lives are transformed. My hope is that the glory of Christ will shine today into your hearts, giving you unshakable faith and eyes to see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to meet together today to worship you as a church, both in person and online. Your text today is one of great significance and weightiness. Lord, as we dive into just a part of your ways, which are higher than our ways, please give us humility and a spirit of understanding so that we would be able to see Jesus rightly in your word and ignite in our hearts an overflow which would spring into real worship. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and lead us in our time today by your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We left off last week with Jesus during the week of Passover as he heads towards his death. And Jesus further elaborates to the crowd that it's by his death and resurrection he's going to draw all people without distinction, being a beacon for the whole world to see and worship. Jesus' final words to the public are followed with Jesus going away and hiding himself from the people. 
where we see in our text today now that John is bringing this portion of the gospel to the close. What follows is a striking commentary of the theology of belief and unbelief is both sobering and encouraging. Diving into verse 37, we see that John is summarizing the response of the Jews to Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. He states, Though he, meaning Jesus, had done so many signs before them, the Jews, they still did not believe in him. Now before we move on, we have to pause and remind ourselves just how crazy this is. Do you remember Jesus taking five barley loaves and two fish and then dividing them amongst 5,000 families? And then there were even leftovers after that and everyone was satisfied. Do you remember in John 9 when a man is born blind from birth and then Jesus rubs mud on his eyes and tells him to wash and he can see? I mean, that's amazing. What about the times when Jesus cast out demons just by his word? And how can we even forget in John 11, just a chapter ago, when Jesus raises his best friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus wasn't just sleeping or faking death. He was dead for four days and Jesus called him back to life by his words. Don't miss this. Jesus has not only said that he's come from the Father to rescue and save the world, but he has proven that he is indeed the Son of God. John is saying that despite all of Jesus' words and actions blaring in their faces, the Jews did not believe in Jesus. They didn't get it. Even when their words were before them in large font. As I recount my own story of becoming a Christian, I'm gripped by the fact that God has brought so many people in my life before and spoken the gospel to me. I'm just so grateful for that. And even when they spoke the gospel to me, I ignored it. It didn't happen until five years ago that I came to Christ. Can you just admit yourselves that there are just so many times, even now, where God has shown you, just like he's shown me, abundant grace through his spirit, through his word, and through his church, and we still fight against and choose not to trust in him. Think about it for a second. We really are no different from the Jews, who apart from God revealing himself would never believe. I know that I wasn't looking for God in college. I had my eyes fixed on recognition and self-glory. But listen, recognize right here today, we're standing in God's grace. For we are hearing his word today, and we have an opportunity to respond in faith. God spoke through his son to call people from their old ways and to put their allegiance in Christ. And yet, we're going to see a deep rejection that culminates in the cross. Verse 38 through 40 
illuminates the reason for Jewish unbelief. And it is mind-blowing. John says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What is John doing here? In the first part found in verse 38, John is stating that the unbelief of the Jews in rejecting Jesus fulfilled the purposes of God rather than frustrated them. Let me repeat that. The unbelief of the Jews in rejecting Jesus actually fulfilled the purposes of God rather than frustrated them. The reference that John makes is to the beginning of Isaiah 53, a very well-known prophecy made about 700 years before Jesus was born about God's suffering servant, the Messiah who would be exalted, but through suffering, rejection, and death. And in that, his death, he would bear the sin and rebellion of God's people once and for all and reconcile them to God forever. Christ died to save sinners. This is a stunning text as the prophet Isaiah reports the disbelief of God's plan to redeem his people. What a backwards plan. No man could have ever come up with a design like this. Earlier in chapter 12, Jesus alludes to his death by saying that a grain of wheat that falls into the earth alone and dies will bring forth fruit and life. In order to have life, death has to happen. This Isaiah prophecy is embodied perfectly by Jesus, who has spoken about the arrival of the kingdom and himself as the one and only door into that kingdom. The signs that he has done are representations of the arm of the Lord being revealed. Even so, the Jews would not believe in him. Why not? Church, remember what the Jews expected for their Messiah? But Jesus rode triumphantly on a donkey's colt into Jerusalem with the crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the Jews didn't receive the Savior they wanted or expected. Jesus wasn't their warhorse riding king who came to overthrow the Roman rule by might. Friends, is Jesus who you expected him to be or wanted him to be? If you didn't get the circumstances you wanted, the job you wanted, the relationship you wanted, is Jesus, as he reveals himself in Scripture, enough for you? Is Jesus enough? 
I know that I've struggled with this question. And if you don't believe that he is enough right now, just wait and listen to the rest. The reality is that in God's master plan of redemption and rescue, Jesus had to be rejected in order to go to the cross so that you might be saved. As Justin talked about last week, it is through the cross that Jesus draws all people without distinction, inviting you and I to look upon him and entrust our entire lives to him. And that's not even the full assurance given. Jesus rose from the dead. He rose in a glorious display over death, sin, and the devil, ensuring our hope. We know that our path in this world continues to be covered with darkness, twists and turns, thorns and briars. But Christian, have hope because the light of Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. No, it will not overcome it. It never will. John continues to nail down a hard point in verse 39 and 40 to paint an even bigger picture of the reason for the Jews' unbelief. In verse 39, John states, Therefore they could not believe, anchoring their unbelief in the divine cement of Isaiah 6. Now, I won't go into full detail, but I encourage you to read Isaiah 6 when you have the time. It is a stunning chapter, one of my favorite in scriptures. But in this prophecy, Isaiah the prophet sees Jesus before he becomes a man, high and lifted up, his train, the train of his robe filled with glory. And in God's holy presence, Isaiah is psychologically disintegrated as he stands before God. And God atones for his sin. Following that, God commissions him to proclaim a message. But get this. No one's going to listen. No one's going to listen to this message. Their ears, rather, are going to be heavy. And their hearts are going to be dull. And their eyes are going to be blind. God had pronounced a sentence of judgment whereby Israel could not believe back in Isaiah's day. And John is saying that the same exact thing is happening to the Jews who would not believe in Jesus, who is proclaiming life to them currently. Get this. Isaiah was the messenger, but Jesus is the message himself. Sojourn, I want you to see this and understand that when God hardens the heart of somebody, he isn't acting in a way that is against their will. Now, what I mean by that is that God is not forcing a holy believer, a saint, to stop believing in him. What I mean is that God is giving an unbeliever over to what they want, more over to the darkness of their heart. Scripture has made it abundantly clear that we don't have partially bad hearts, but that down to the core, our hearts are rotten and sick and deceitful above all things. Please don't miss this. At the core of our sin, we would not choose God 10 out of 10 times. Romans 3 says, none is righteous 
No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We have all sought to go our own way, seeking false freedom and substitute gods to fancy us. But trust me, every false hope will fade away when we stand before the Lord on the last day. Every pretense of our self-made security and liberty will incinerate before the Almighty and we will be left naked and without an excuse. We are morally responsible for all of our choices and we cannot wrestle our way out of our sin by force. The Bible, in fact, states that we are spiritually dead and unable to please God. God is even mocked when we think that we can earn our righteousness and pay an infinite debt with our good works. Our rags, they're dirty. And it is only through believing in Christ that we may be washed clean and have his righteousness. So the question isn't, why won't you save them or all people? But really, the question is, Why won't you save anyone at all, God? Oh, let humility seep into us to see that salvation isn't earned, but given. It isn't merit, but it's grace upon grace. Everyone, it is by the mercy of God alone that we stand here And praise God that his love for us is so deep that he's willing to suffer for our sake and in our place for our sin. This baffles me. Like, seriously. God becoming a man seems like a self-inflicted insult upon the holy God. Yet the God of the universe does so that we may share in his fellowship for eternity. Listen, it is difficult for us to wrap our minds, our finite minds, around the divine sovereignty of God and moral human responsibility and how they work together. I've wrestled with this tension ever since becoming a Christian, and I know that I'm going to continue to wrestle with it until the end. But we can hold both things to be true because Scripture says they are. And I would even encourage you on your own to read Romans 9 through 11 to marvel yourself at this mystery. Brothers and sisters, we know that God's divine hand is over our salvation, never to cast us out, always delighting that we are adopted sons and daughters into his family. Shouldn't that lead us to worship and proclaim Christ? Verse 41 through 43 says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Isaiah saw Jesus and was transformed. Not all the Jewish leaders rejected Christ. Some of them believed as we see in verse 42. But using both of these people as examples, what is the contrast that John is trying to show here? 
I mean, how are we supposed to live our lives in this broken and twisted world while following Christ? Let us ask ourselves some questions. What is our faith like right now? Are we struggling to believe? Are we finding that we love the glory of man more than we love the glory of God? Believe me, church, I don't know everyone's situations and I myself don't have it all figured out, but I'm in the same boat as you. I'm prone to fear the rejection of my family, rejection of my coworkers and my friends. But even so, there is one who knows everything and loves us even in our weakness. And he uses us and he calls us to go still. So now let's just talk about application. If you are not a Christian here, I'm so grateful that you are here. I truly believe that it's by God's providence that you are here right now listening to this sermon, whether in person or over Facebook Live. My, my prayer and invitation would be that you would believe in Christ today. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's not a lot of time. Our time on earth is described like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes as we are thrown into eternity. And in the, in the midst of an undeniably jacked up and painful world, what is your life? Scripture says, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait until it's too late to accept a free gift. Jesus reveals God so that we can know him truly and worship him rightly. Believe me, I speak out of experience that it is infinitely worth it to walk away from something that is temporarily desirable in order to follow someone who is eternally precious forever. Feel free to come up to me or to someone else in the church and we would be delighted to point you to Jesus, to help you follow Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, I have two things. Number one, savor Christ and his glory. Savor Christ and his glory. This is crucial. Most Christians miss this, this aspect of savoring Christ and his glory. Now, what I mean by savor is to enjoy something to its fullest, like you would do with your favorite food. You can just think of my favorite food right now. Um, it's not really steak, but I'll use steak as the metaphor. Um, the textures, the taste. The appearance and the aroma and the aftertaste and everything else that's combined in eating the steak is savoring. Christ is our greatest treasure, the only lasting treasure that we can eagerly plunge the depths of 
and never run out. Friends, savor Christ because he has done all the work for us and that we can go to him at any time, approaching his throne of grace and asking him, knowing that he is sovereign over all. Savor Christ in the word. Savor him in prayer. Savor him as he works in your life and in the life of others. If you know Christ, that's all you need. You're a witness of his glory. You're a transformed life. You only need to recount. Man, what an awesome encouragement this is. This should, exhort, this is, should encourage and exhort us to listen to God's uh, glory in people's lives. For we can be so encouraged by one another in the church sharing testimonies, giving us just a glimpse of the mosaic that Christ is weaving. Number two. Proclaim the gospel. Romans 1.16 captures a grand response that we ought to have. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. As ambassadors for Christ, we are privileged and entrusted with the message of reconciliation, wherever we are, whenever. But like the text illustrates today, God is the only one who can save us. I mean, this should lift a huge burden off of our shoulders as we witness to the truth. Isaiah spoke knowing that no one would listen to him. Jesus, the Christ himself, was rejected by his own people. But listen, their rejection does not negate the fact that this is the power of God and for salvation. Let us proclaim the gospel to those who are both far off and to those who are near, to those who have never heard of the gospel, to our family, our friends, and our co-workers without fear of messing it up. We leave it to the Lord. Like Paul, let us love the sovereignty of Christ and endure everything for the sake of the elect. Let us wave the banner of salvation into a dark world, praising our Lord who turns hearts and brings us with certainty into eternal glory. It's out of this confidence in Christ that I'm even considering pursuing overseas work to spread the gospel. This is the greatest message in the world. It's the greatest news in the world. And I want to share it with people that have never had the opportunity to hear it. As we close out our time this evening, we come to the end of a section in the Gospel of John. Here are the final verses which summarize all of John 1 through 12. And Jesus cried out, out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father had told me. Brothers and sisters, we are so deeply involved in the divine orchestration of God as he, through Christ, reconciles the world to us or to himself. There's deep comfort in knowing that God will certainly accomplish his purposes. And I encourage you to rest in God as you seek to follow Jesus confidently, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, who can fathom the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of you? How unsearchable are your judgments and how unscrutinable are your ways? Who has known your mind or ever been your counselor? Who has given you a gift that, you might be, that he might be repaid? God, it is truly from you and through you and to you that all things belong. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us in our helpless estate, but you have came to us in our darkness to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Lord, help us to rejoice and to praise you today for the work that you have done in our lives, the work you are doing now, the work that you will complete. Keep us faithful only unto you, Father. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your precious son's name we all pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.